Welcome to the art studio of Lindsay Burritt and Crystal Grover, two young and very unique artists. These two girls met while at Columbia College and they quickly discovered that they had a lot in common. They had a passion for art and a love for the environment. And as their friendship grew, they discovered a way that they could combine both of these passions. What they decided to do was to create their art using the medium of garbage. Believe it or not, all of their art comes from things people have thrown away. They go to dumpsters and they find things that would disgust the rest of us. And where we see things that should be thrown away for good, they see potential. They see potential for beauty. And these two artists have become uniquely gifted at taking ugly stuff and out of it, creating something beautiful. You know, Crystal and Lindsay are not the only ones with the unique ability to take garbage and turn it into something beautiful. Do you know who else can do that? God can. Our Heavenly Father is the greatest specialist in the universe of taking the very worst of this world of taking the things that are so ugly and so difficult and so painful. And yet God in his infinite wisdom, creativity, motivated by love, God works in our lives and as we will see, he promises to use the bad stuff to bring about beauty. Well, I, I am very excited to continue our series, Broken, with you. But before I dive into the teach, I did want to add my thanks to Daryl's when it comes to this Volunteer Appreciation Weekend. Can, can I just say the volunteerism in the Compass Church inspires me. There are so many of you who have decided that it's not enough just to watch what God's, God's doing. You want in on the game. You, you want to be a part of this kingdom victory. And I just want to tell you, you are. Maybe I, I think I get blessed sometimes. I, I, maybe more than anybody else in our church, I hear and see the fruit. People come up to me and email me and tell me of how God has just turning their lives upside down. Jesus Christ is changing everything for them. And it's such an encouragement to me, but I'm keenly aware that I play a part of it. But it's being accomplished by an army of volunteers in our church. You are an important part of that win. And I pray you feel the smile of God. And I pray you feel the joy of knowing that your life is dripping with significance as you contribute to this team effort to advance the cause of Christ in our world. So thank you. Eat candy and know you are blessed, all right? Well, I, I, I really enjoyed being at this art studio of Lindsay and Crystal, kind of snooped around a bit. They had boxes uh, of, of stuff they were collecting for future art projects. And one of them that uh, kind of surprised me was they had a whole box of these, of, of used, uh, these are called nasal uh, uh, snot suckers. I think they're, that's what they're called. Uh, Booger bulb, I'm not exactly sure, but 
I, I would argue that they're the grossest thing on planet Earth, maybe, because if you think about it, you know, the little kid has got a runny nose and he's sick and you, you know, you suck that stuff up. And then he said, but Jeff, you wash it. You wash the outside, you know, and you, you may get a little water in there. You're just sloshing it around a little bit. Just think with me of what's growing in the world in this little bulb. I mean, it's disgusting. And yet these girls look at this absolutely disgusting thing, and they say, maybe we can see potential that no one else can see. Maybe there's a way of taking what is rotten and bringing beauty. God thinks that way. Did you ever think of our God as thinking that way? But he does. As we're about to see one of the ways God is active when we're in our suffering, when we've got bad stuff is that God says there's got to be a way to bring good out of the bad. This series, Broken, Living in a Painful World, has been a study of the second half of Romans 8, where we're trying to learn from the Lord. Lord, how do we make sense of all the evil and suffering in our world? And we started by week one going back in time and looking at how things got this way. Week two, we looked to the future and the restoration that will be seen in heaven, and we realized that we're going to get out of this soon. This is a temporary condition. Last week, we saw that God wants to join us in the midst of our suffering. Through spirit-empowered prayer, we can connect with God as we're going through it. And this week, we're seeing what one of the things God does. And that is to find ways to bring good out of the bad. And, and when I uh, speak of that topic, maybe you right away know what verse we've arrived at. It's a very popular verse, Romans eight twenty-eight. We started in verse 18. We've been moving along uh, through the verses, and now we've arrived at maybe the most popular verse of this section of Scripture we're studying. Romans eight twenty-eight says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For we know that in all things, God is working for the good. Uh, You know, those all things, if you remember, the context was set back in verse 18 to this section. It referred to our present sufferings. So the all things is our present sufferings. We know that in all our present sufferings, God is working for our good. Isn't that an incredible, incredible promise? I was uh, wanting to show you uh, something to make this point. Uh, I I don't know if you know what this is. Uh, I, I didn't until someone told me. Let's zoom in on it. I got a picture here that will show you what I'm holding. Um, I discovered this little thing the hard way. I, I ran over it. And on Friday, I had this little window of time between an evening meeting here at church and a full day uh, here at church. And I, I, I uh, ran to McDonald's. All right, I'll tell you. There, my fine dining. There you go. For, for dinner. And as I did, I, I ran over this little guy. And all of a sudden, I, I hear my tire go, click, 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 click. Click, click, and I'm like, uh-oh, something's not good. So I get out of my pickup truck, I go back, and I, I couldn't see the stem of it because it was stuck into the tire. All I saw was this round disc stuck to it, and I didn't know what it was, and I grabbed it, 
and pulled it out. Come to the practical things you live, learn at church. Come to find out if you've got a nail or something stuck in your tire, don't pull it out. I pulled it out and I watched as the tire just went flat in front of me. And I'm like, I can't believe this. Here I am, semi-dressed up, not with the time or in the mood to, you know, change the tire. And between you and I, I have not done it in so long that I had to read the instructions. I went into the owner's manual in my glove box. <laughs> Someone is saying, Jeff, give up your man card. You know, if you've got to read the instructions to change the tire, there's something wrong there. Well, I didn't know how to get the spare tire out of the bottom of my truck, but I was working on it. I'm down on the ground under my truck, sweating and dirty and miserable, when somebody came out of their house and walked up to my truck and they had a, a bottle of water, they said, are you thirsty? And I said, uh, yeah. And they said, I'm sorry that you're experiencing this, but I just thought I'd bring you a drink. And I thought, you know, there are still some good people left in the world. Not many, but a few. I, I crawled out from under the car and I was going to shake the guy's hand, but I was filthy. And I said, thank you very much. And he says, oh, no problem. He said, you know, there's always a good side to what we're going through, right? And I'm like, uh, maybe. He said, just, just think of it this way. He goes, I'm sure you'll figure out a way to make this into a sermon illustration. I said, do you go to the Compass Church? He's like, Pastor Jeff! <laughs> oh, <my God>. okay. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, uh, he goes, I, I've been, want, he goes, I'm, I'm relatively new to the Compass Church. I've been wanting to meet you and never thought God would make you have a flat tire in front of my house, but <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I'm like, perfect, yes. <laughs> Well, the truth is we had a delightful conversation. He shared with me of what God's doing in his life and how his wife recently found new life in Christ and how they're thriving at our church, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I got in the car after my spare was on, in place, and I just laughed, you know, I laughed. I, I almost anticipated it. I'm going to confess to you that when I... Heard the click, 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 and thought, uh-oh. And when I saw the tire go flat, I said, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm preaching on Romans 8.28, you know, that in all things, you work for the good. Flat tires, does that count? What are you going to do, God? What are you going to do? And so when I saw those feet walk up to the car, I thought, okay, here goes nothing. And I wasn't even entirely surprised, you know, when he said that he went to the Compass Church because you begin to believe the promises of God. You begin to believe them so strongly that you anticipate them. And you say, you know, the Lord's going to show himself true. And that's what he does. Now, can I use these two props as just an example to make a point? This little gizmo here is evil. Uh, this <laughs> symbolizes for us problems and trial and the kind bottle of water symbolizes the good that God says he can bring out of evil. 
I don't want there to be confusion. Some people misinterpret Romans 8.28 and they start saying, oh, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, everything in life. God makes it good. The passage is not saying all is good. It's saying that God works for the good in all things. There are, there are many, many things in this world that are downright evil and terrible and hurtful. Let's just be clear on that. Sometimes well-meaning Christians have used Romans 8.28 to, to try to encourage someone who's deep in grief. And they just say, hey, it's all good. It's all good. Remember Romans 8.28. It's, it's all good. And you know what it says later in Romans? Romans 12, God reminds us, grieve with those who grieve, would you? When, when someone's really going through something terrible, to push Romans 8.28 on them prematurely is to be insensitive because the evil and the suffering and the pain in this world is really bad. And God says it's okay to grieve. And as loving Christian brothers and sisters, we should grieve with them. And then the time will come for the reminder and the encouragement that good will come from the bad. All right. What I'd like to do is study with you kind of the key words of this verse. We're going to go through and look at some key words and meditate on them and really try to understand this verse as best as we can. And the first one is no. The first word here I'd like to zoom in on. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, he says, and we know that in all things God does this. He appeals to universal knowledge. He says, come on, people, you know this to be true. It's as if Paul says all thoughtful people will agree that this is how God works. In other words, if you look at life, if you look at your own life, you will see evidence of this principle in action. Have you noticed that in your own life? Have you looked at horrible trials that you've endured in the past with God's grace and seen him bring good results out of that bad thing? I was challenged to do a little exercise that I pass on to you. This is really interesting for me. I was told to fold a piece of paper in half and then on one side of it to write the five worst things, five worst things that happened in my life. And then on the other side to write the five best things that have ever happened in my life. And so I did that. I I wrote them down just quickly. And then I was told to open up the piece of paper and see if there are any connections. Meaning, is it possible that God used some of the worst things in your life to bring about some of the best things in your life? And in my particular case, I'm not saying this is going to work out like this for everybody, but there were clear connections of all five of my worst to the five best. And I have to confess that I know, I know this to be true just by looking back at God's faithfulness in my life. And folks, Paul says, deep down, you know it to be true. If not in your life, look at the examples in the Bible. I mean, all over the place, there are problems in the people in Scripture. And again and again, God redeems and brings about good out of the bad. All right, let's go to the next word. The next word is all. That is a big word. Not in size, but in meaning. You know, God doesn't exaggerate. 
When he says all, he means it. And that's huge. When, when, when talking about problems, suffering, evil, seldom does God use the all word, but he does here. Does God use the all word in saying that I will resist all evil from coming into your life? No. Some, maybe much, evil God resists. The Bible in Job tells us that there is a hedge of protection that God has put around us. And there have been problems and diseases and struggles that God has prevented from reaching your life that we're unaware of. And so he resists much, but does not resist all. He allows some to get through to us. He resists some, not all. He removes some, not all. You know, when an evil comes into our lives, our our response in prayer is, get it out! Get this problem out of my life. And sometimes God answers those prayers by removing that problem from us, but not all. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12 spoke of a thorn in his flesh. That's how he referred to this problem. And he said, three times I have pleaded with God to take it away, remove it. And what did God say? Paul, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so when it comes to resisting evil, no, God doesn't resist and protect us from it all. When it comes to removing evil, some he he does. Sometimes he does, it's not all. But when it comes to redeeming, It's all, all. Isn't that incredible? God says, the one thing you will know is that when this problem comes your way, every time without exception, I am promising you that I'm working towards bringing good out of it. Whether it's little like a flat tire or whether it's huge like cancer, God says, I am trying to do a work in your life to bring good out of the evil. Huge word. Let's talk about the word works. God works. I did a little study in the the root, Greek root there is ergo, and ergo means labor. It means toil. It means working hard. Isn't that interesting? God is rolling up his sleeves like I did to fix that tire And God's saying, I'm going to work. So-and-so, my child has a problem. It is time for me to get at it. God says, I am going. It's hard work to figure out ways to bring good out of the problems in our lives. But God's committed to work at it. He says, I'm going to. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes we make the mistake, a huge mistake, of assuming that when problems come our way, that means that God is inactive. We assume divine inactivity. Oh, look what came my way. God must be inactive. That's the exact opposite assumption from what is true. When we see problems, we should anticipate divine activity, not assume divine inactivity. Do you see that? When, when, when you see a problem, what, what does that tell you? Ah, this is where God always rolls up his sleeves and gets involved. The one thing I, look, I got a problem. One thing I know, God is now active in this. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Folks, I pray that we will, when we have a problem, begin to anticipate 
the redemption of the Lord in the midst of our trial. I was thinking about the, going to see the movies, or watching a movie. It's kind of ironic. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but one thing all movies have is problems. Do you notice that? Every single movie inevitably has some type of a problem that enters the storyline. And that's a little ironic. Why would we want to go watch a story with problems? The very problems we'd never want to experience, we pay to observe. And I'll tell you why we're okay with seeing those problems in a movie. For one, you know, it's not us, it's somebody else. I'm sure that's part of it. But in a movie, we know that there will be a redemptive conclusion to this problem. As you watch the storyline, you get introduced to the main characters, you see the crisis arise, you understand how Hollywood tells stories. I believe that all good stories reflect the great story, the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, whether the author realizes that or not. That's how it works. And as a Hollywood writer writes, we know that there's always a happy ending. You know, if, if, if the problem didn't have redemption, it wouldn't be a good movie and no one would go to see it, right? And so you may not even realize this is happening, but as you watch a movie, you're okay with the introduction of a problem because deep down you know somehow it's going to get redeemed. And I think we need to start living life like we watch movies, I think we need to realize that like a movie, our lives are being written by the great and sovereign God. Though he doesn't cause hardship and trials, he allows it and always redeems it. And so we should start approaching our lives when we see great problems, when we look at our check balance and we look at the diagnosis of the doctor and we see the problem at work and we see the blow up at home to just say, ooh, this is bad. But God, I know you. You have revealed your character to me in your word. And I know that your story with your children is always a redemptive one. And so I'm anticipating your redemption in my life. Well, let's move on to the next word. God's working for what? The good. Now, what's the definition of good? You say, good. Uh, God gets to define good, all right? One of the things that happens is we'd like to define good. We'd like to say that if I lose my job, the good, obviously, is a better job, right? Isn't that how it works? that I have one bad circumstance and God does the Romans 8.28 and he replaces it with a better circumstance, right? Sometimes he does that. But that's not the good that burns in the heart of God. We tend to be a little uh, simplistic in always seeing good as far as good circumstances. God loves something more than the ease of our circumstances. His good is the transformation of our hearts. When God says that is good, you know what it is? It's when we grow to love the Lord and reflect the very beauty of the character of Christ. And so when God says, I'm going to bring good out of hardship, sometimes that good is circumstantial. More often than not, it's a transformational good. 
It's when the substance of our lives becomes more beautiful and rich. When the joy in our soul is deeper because of our connection with God that was forged through that trial. Do you see that? So God's good, usually, is transformation in us and transformation through us to others. A lot of times it's because of the hardship we endure that we're able to be an impact in other people's lives. They look at us and they say, you know, I relate to you because you've gone through what I'm going through. I'm inspired by you because you've gone through what I'm going through and yet you did it better than I've done it. How is that? Do you see that? And so when the Lord says good, what he usually has in mind is eternal good, not temporary good. Eternal good, which is changed people. People are what are eternal. He wants to explode the beauty of your life and use you to be a servant of Christ, an ambassador of Christ to the world around you. So no, more often than not, that's the good that the heart of God burns for. Let me ask you this. Is this Romans 8 promise that he works in all things for the good? Is it a promise for everybody? And the answer, according to this verse, is no. He tells us who it's for, of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Two conditions, love him, love him, according to his purpose. Oh, that nice job back there, that's good. Let's start with love him. Nice, uh, they're quick. I love the fact, th- this is really a definition of a Christian. This is really what's going on here. It's, it's God's children, those who have been reconciled to the Lord through Christ. And I love how Romans 8.28 describes who believers are. They're those who love him. At the very heart of this relationship with Christ is love. You know, that's why our church mission statement is to love him more, so more love him. We're recognizing that Jesus taught the supreme longing of the heart of God is that it be a love relationship. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a lover of God and a beloved of God as well. God says, this thing we got going, it's all about love. I am passionately in love with you, God says. And I know you're growing passionately in love with me. It's not just love. The second thing is called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for our lives. He has called us to it. He said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you into something great. And a Christian is someone who is following the call of God towards the purpose of God. That devotion to follow him. Lord, I know you have a plan. I'm following you. And so the, the Christian, what does it look like? Man, there's love and there's devotion. God loves us. We love him. He's devoted to lead our lives towards a great and meaningful purpose. We're committed to follow him no matter what. We've heard his call. We're going to follow him. God says this Romans 8.28 thing, it is a function of this love and devotion that me and my people share. Isn't that beautiful? Now, does that mean that God will never work in the good for non-believers? And the answer is no. He does the same principle in non-believers sometimes. He does it for believers every time. Okay? 
So the all promise is for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Well, I wanted to share with you of a journey in my life that has been uh, painful and meaningful as far as it being a working out of the Romans 8.28 principle and promise. I've, I've already shared with many, and you may be aware, that one of the one of the thorns in my flesh has been a panic disorder, an anxiety issue. Uh, I know I'm not alone. Many of you uh, responsible types uh, deal with this as well. It's more common than I realized. But I have uh, dealt with panic attacks. And you know what the trigger for me and my panic attacks are? Public speaking. Fantastic, huh? That's brilliant, Lord. Well, uh, when I was growing up, high school and college, I had to take public speaking classes. I dreaded them more than anything else. And when I would get up, my heart would start beating out of control. My breathing would race and my mind would spin. And I would struggle so profoundly that on a number of occasions, graceful professors ended my speech before I was done and just said, you're obviously struggling, Jeff. That's enough. You know, that's how bad it was. When I call it pain, some people are like, it's not pain. Those who have had a panic attack, no, pain is a very good descriptor. And then God called me into ministry. My my mom said, you do know that pastors sometimes have to do public speaking, right, Jeff? Have you aware of that? I'm like, yeah, Ma, I don't know what to tell you. And folks, at first, it was really hard. Uh, My early days, I, I mean, I still deal with it, but it's far less than it was in my early days. The early days of my preaching ministry was a painful experience for me. Panic attacks happened almost every single time I got up to preach. To differing degrees of intensity, one of them I will never forget. I was up preaching, and it was just out of control. I was struggling so much that I, I think I was going to cause some people in the congregation to have a panic attack as they watched me because the anxiety in the room was palpable. As everyone could see, I was really struggling. And the message was terrible, would be my guess, and I just felt so bad and <coughs> confused, going, God, why? Of all the problems to allow me to experience. Why one that is directly in opposition to my calling? This just doesn't make sense. And that day, and I'm greeting people afterwards, and people are like, hey, praying for you. Thanks. (laughs) And one friend of mine came up, and he shook my hand. And I could tell when I shook my hand, he was putting a piece of paper in my hand. And he didn't say a word, and he walked away. And I opened it up, And the piece of paper had a reference to a passage of Scripture. It had on it, all it had on it was Exodus chapter 4, verse 12. And I was curious, and so after uh, I was done greeting people, I grabbed my Bible and I turned it open. And sure enough, Exodus 4 is the story of God calling Moses to public leadership, which involved public speaking. Do you remember what Moses said? Not me. I can't do it. You know, God, I can't speak in front of people. I'm guessing Moses struggled with panic attacks in the same way or similar way that I do. 
And yet God in Exodus 4 verse 12 says this, Moses, I will help you to speak. You said, boy, that's so simple. And I would argue, yes, but it is profound. God is saying, Moses, I still am calling you to speak, but it's so important that you realize that the key to your speaking power will not be your eloquence, but my help. The key to the effectiveness of your ministry is going to be my divine assistance and not your natural ability, which is always the case. Do you know the greatest detriment to God enabling his power to flow into us is self-confidence. When we think we've got it, God's power shuts off. But when we're desperate for him and crying out, I understand, God, I can't do this without you, that is precisely the posture of soul that God can bless with supernatural anointing. And folks, I believe that in some ways it may be that God called Moses not in spite of his insecurity about public speaking, but because of his insecurity with public speaking, because Moses would understand his need for God's help. And all of a sudden on that day, it started to dawn on me. Maybe God has not called me to preach in spite of my thorn in my flesh and panic disorder, but because of my panic disorder. Maybe this panic disorder is you. It's an evil thing. Trust me, it's bad. But maybe through Romans 8.28, God has figured out a way that he can use this disorder to make me humble and desperately dependent on him. Maybe he said, oh, I can use this. This is a no-brainer. This will keep Jeff on his knees clinging to me. And as he's humbly dependent on me, then, remember in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, we are made strong in our weakness because his strength is seen in us. I believe so. I believe that God has said, uh, panic disorder, it is an evil, awful thing. But God says, I know how I can bring good and kingdom advancement out of the bad. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe the greatest example of all. Is the crucifixion, is, is humanity murdering their creator a good thing? No. It's more awful than anything a mind can comprehend. Yet God in Romans 8, 28 fashion has turned the greatest evil into the greatest good and saved the souls of millions. That's what God does. It's what God wants to do in your life. In the big problems you're facing today and in the little ones that are coming this week that you don't even know about yet. Anticipate it. It's how God's, it's one of the many ways God's great grace and love is displayed in our lives. Shall we pray? God, your goodness is amazing to us and we thank you for this expression of your love. You have shown us again and again that you're by our side fighting for us. And God, we just want to thank you for this promise that you would say all, that you would commit to all is amazing. We don't deserve it, but we'll receive it. God, would you make us people 
who cooperate with you. You know, when you're working to bring about good, help us be those who cooperate and don't fight it. Help us to be those, God, who are submissive and say, Lord, what are you trying to do through this problem in my life? Help us to be those who maximize the good you bring because of our submissive, faith-filled, cooperative spirits. Build your kingdom. Build your church. Build our lives through the problems that come our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.